Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. This man, even with his finances, his success, his fame, even with his power, even with his authority, he still came to Jesus. He came to the right person. He asked the right question. How could he get it so wrong? How could he not end up with the right thing at that point? You go to Jesus and you say, what can I do? What must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus will give you that answer. Are you ready to receive the answer? That's the question. Are you really ready to receive? Can you handle the truth? Okay, as Jesus looked upon this man, he he recognized the guy's heart right away. Today, we will hear the story of a young man who comes to Jesus asking him about eternal life. He claims to have kept the law. He seeks Jesus. He desires eternity. And Jesus tells him to sell all that he owns. What went wrong with this man that ends up leaving him worse off than when he arrived to ask Jesus? Pastor David will raise the question, did the man own riches or did his riches own him? Is our love for possessions greater than our desire to follow Jesus and have eternal life? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Eternal Life or Temporary Gain. be looking this morning the Gospel of Luke chapter 18 as we continue on in our journey through the Gospel of Luke and we're going to be looking at this whole idea of eternal life or temporary gain. There's a lot of things within the world right now that draw our attention. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of things that pull us away from the reality and the truth of heaven and of eternity that waits before us. And it's so hard sometimes to keep our minds focused on the eternity that waits before us because the temporary is so active and so attractive in so many ways. I hope my prayer this morning is as we look at this message today that yes, we live in temporary conditions. We understand that. We deal with temporary issues. We understand that. But at the same time, our hearts, our minds need to be focused on the reality and the truth of eternity that stands before us and the temporary decisions that you and I make throughout the day, every day, really need to be weighed by the reality and the truth of eternity that sits before us. Let's look at the passage, first of all, this morning. We are in Luke chapter 18. We are now down to verse 18. I'm going to read some of this this morning, and then we'll uh, go ahead and begin digesting it, hopefully. Luke 18, 18. Now a certain ruler asked Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I've done or I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, 
you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Warren Wiersbe states about this young man, he says, this rich young ruler may be the only man in the Gospels who came to the feet of Jesus and went away in a worse condition than when he came. And yet he had so much in his favor. He was moral, he was religious, he was earnest, he was sincere, and probably would have qualified for membership in the average church. Yet he refused to follow Jesus Christ, and instead he went his own way in great sorrow. Sad fact is, in this world, there's multitudes of people who are moral, and they're religious, and they're earnest, and they're sincere. And yet, because they refuse to surrender their lives and all that they are to the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ, they still lack the most important thing of all. They lack forgiveness of their sin. They lack eternal life in the presence of God Almighty. Good, moral, outstanding people, and yet still lacking. Today, we look at this young man who almost had it all. He almost had it all. We see from, again, the gospel record. He was a guy who had fame and fortune. He was a ruler. He was a young ruler. He had authority. He was rich. He had that power and authority. He had a strong moral character. He says, all of these things I've kept from my youth. He even had sincerity. He came to Christ in this humble type of way. Lord, what must I do? There, there was something sincere about his question about his coming to Christ. And yet he went away from Jesus without gaining the one very thing that he apparently had sought for, eternal life. And even as his own words declared, the old hymn assures us he was almost, but he was lost. What does it tell us here in Luke 18, beginning in verse 18? He says, now a certain ruler asked Jesus, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that's God. From all we see, all we understand of this passage and the parallel ones that are found in Matthew and in Mark, this young man, he came in a manner that demonstrated honor and respect toward Jesus. Mark tells us that he came running and he knelt before Jesus. He spoke to Jesus in what appears to be an honorable way. He calls him master or teacher. As a matter of fact, he calls him good master or good teacher. It's interesting, the Jews, by and large, they reserved that descriptor of good only to God. Very seldom would they ever really speak of an individual, a person, as good. It was the one thing that they knew that for sure God is the only one that is good. In all of the characteristics and all the qualities of God, he is intrinsically good. He can be none other than good. We declare it ourselves on a regular basis. God is good and all the time. It's the reality of who God is. And so for the Jew to, to say that someone else was good was, was really putting them up on, on a pretty big pedestal. It's not a normal greeting. And because of this, we see Jesus having this little bit of a word play with this young man. Jesus draws the man's attention to what he had just said, and he doesn't let it slip by. 
if this young man considered Jesus as truly good, is he really equating him with God? He says, why do you call me good? No, no one is good but one, and, and that's God. It's kind of as if he's saying, why are you saying I'm good? Are you saying that I'm God? Because truly he was God. He is God in human flesh. And whatever the meaning behind how he addressed Jesus, the man actually asked a wonderful question. He asked a powerful question. I think it's the question many people ask. The problem is, is they don't all ask it of Jesus. They ask it in, in a lot of different ways, a lot of different directions. They don't go to the word of God and look, open it up and say, what do I do to gain eternal life? They don't come into a church meeting and hear the preaching and, and the teaching of the gospel message and then question, what do I do to gain eternal life? No, they look at the world around them. Too often mankind seeks the answer to the question of life and in particularly even eternal life from those things or those people that have absolutely no power to be able to grant eternal life to them. They'll look at situations like popularity or the accolades of man. They'll look at finances or success or fame. They'll look at perhaps maybe if I leave a legacy that really gives me an, an eternal life structure. Man tries to live on throughout eternity on his own ability, not realizing that all of these things, all of these things outside of Christ they're simply superficial, and there's absolutely no value for eternity. Or perhaps man tries to gain eternal life through his own works, and yet he finds, like this young man, he fails at some point. This man, all of these things I've kept since my youth. This man, even with his finances, his success, his fame, even with his power, even with his authority, he still came to Jesus. He came to the right person. He asked the right question. How could he get it so wrong? How could he not end up with the right thing at that point? You go to Jesus and you say, what can I do? What must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus will give you that answer. Are you ready to receive the answer? That's the question. Are you really ready to receive? Can you handle the truth? Okay. As Jesus looked upon this man, he recognized the guy's heart right away. And there was apparently this truth, this sincerity that was within this man, within his actions, within his question, all of these things. As a matter of fact, Mark in his gospel record tells us that Jesus immediately had love for this man. He saw the sincerity. He saw the truth within this man. And as Jesus was able to see the hearts of all men, he also recognized that even within this guy's heart, there was still a major issue. With all the truth, with all the sincerity that was there, there was still an issue that this man hadn't dealt with. So Jesus now is going to take him, hopefully through the process, help this man to take an account of, of his own life, and he continues to direct comments and the conversation toward the man. He comes to him there in verse 20. He says, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. Here Jesus draws the man's attention to five of the last six of the Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments deal with our personal relationship with God. We read in the word that again, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All of those deal with our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And it appears as this man comes to Christ that he's got those things going for him. He's at least in some kind of a format, in some kind of a form, he is keeping those things to the best of his ability. But then the final six deal with our relationship to our fellow man, including our parents. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. And when Jesus asks the man about five of these final six commandments, Jesus doesn't even list them in order. And, and yet it's very clear that he's not including one of those, the very last one. The young man was pretty quick to answer. He says, oh, all of these things, I've kept them since my youth. All of these. There's no doubt this young man, he considered himself to be a true, a good, a faithful Jew. Interesting that Jesus didn't point to this man in regards to his inner life and even to his thought life. You know, Jesus speaks about, well, if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder. Jesus tells us elsewhere, you know, if you've lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Jesus doesn't even go there. I mean, I'm sure he could have gone there and shown the guy, yeah, you're still guilty, even of the ones that you think that you're doing right. But Jesus zeroes in on one that he knows that this man is no doubt really, truly struggling with. Even though this young man considered himself close to sinless, probably in his own mind, in the reality, there was something that was really lacking in his life. There was apparently something bothering the young man enough. And as Jesus gives him a partial list of the commandments, this man's initial response was, hey, all of these things, I've kept them from my youth. I would imagine that in his heart, he may have actually believed, well, all of these things and all the others I've kept since my youth. But Jesus wasn't too impressed. Have you ever tried to impress God with how good you are? Somehow it just doesn't work, does it? We can declare, yeah, but I'm not as bad as he is, or I'm not as bad as she is, and Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, but you still fall way, way short. Verse 22, when Jesus heard these things, he said to the young man, you still lack one thing, though. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. This is where Jesus deals with number 10, this whole idea of thou shalt not covet. And the fullness of that word is thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's animals, nor anything that your neighbor has. And apparently this is a primary weakness in this young man. We know that the young guy was a ruler. We, we see that from what the word says. And whether he was a synagogue ruler or a, a big landowner, whatever the case would be, we don't know, but we do know that the man had some kind of authority. We also find out that this guy had wealth. He had great wealth. Luke tells us that he was very rich. Matthew and Mark tells us that he had great possessions. Possession upon possession upon possession. We need to understand, though, Jesus wasn't really focusing on making this man perform some kind of act of benevolence or goodwill. He was looking to see the response of the man's heart. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, he says, Though I bestow all of my goods and feed the poor, if I don't have love, man, I'm nothing. 
So you see, it's not this external act that Jesus is really looking for on this guy. We look at it and say, wow, give away everything. That's a pretty huge step. It's not so much that as the inner working of this man's heart. Even in all the singular acts of goodness this man declares that he's done since his youth, there's apparently a heart issue that he's never dealt with. And that's why Jesus tells him, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. Why? Because he was so rich. Both Matthew and Mark, they tell us, this young man then went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Stop and think about it for a minute. If that guy didn't have great possessions, if he only had meh possessions, would he have still done the same thing? I believe that there comes a point in time in our possessions that suddenly we no longer possess them, but they possess us. I believe that that's where this young man has moved into. When the 10th commandment speaks against coveting, it, it includes not only this desire to own someone else's good fortune, but I believe that it also deals with the problem of allowing our good fortune to own us to the point that, man, we just do everything we can to hold on to what we've got. It suddenly becomes the God in our life. And our life is focused on those things. I want to make really certain, and again, I want you to understand that our conversion isn't through keeping a bunch of good works. Even if this guy kept all the commandments, all 10 commandments, that's still not enough. Our conversion comes with a response of heart. A response of heart that goes to the grace of God through faith, and we surrender our whole lives to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what salvation is all about. That's what conversion is about. It's not keeping a bunch of laws and rules and regulations. It's not about just feeding the poor, taking care of the sick. It's not just about honoring our mothers and our fathers. It's not about doing all these things. It is about a surrendered life. And then, beloved, when we have a surrendered life, then these things help us to see how we ought to live our life now as believers. This young man wasn't willing to surrender all of his life. You see, it was a heart issue. He wasn't willing to surrender what he had in order that he might follow Jesus. He wanted salvation on his own terms, not God's. And so he turned and he went his way very sorrowful. Fact is, we could never do enough good works to obtain our salvation. And just like this young man, we would always fall short of it. And rather than turning away from the leading and the directing of Christ in our lives, as this young man did, we need to surrender our lives to him. And only then are we going to truly find ourselves as inheritors of eternal life. You might think, this guy over here, he's got so much. Why couldn't he have given some to the poor? Wouldn't that have been sufficient if I would have just given some of my stuff to the poor, take care of the poor around me? No, Jesus told the young man, sell all that you have, all that you have. You say, well, that's kind of a radical call, Jesus. How am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to take care of perhaps my family and perhaps even my parents? That's just out of the scope of understanding. But you know that Jesus calls for you and I in the same way, in the same commitment when we come to him. Lay all that you have down and come 
and follow me. It's the same call that he made on the fishermen. They were out there fishing, and Jesus says, leave your nets, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It's the same call that he made to Matthew. Matthew, you're a tax collector right now, you're making a lot of money as a tax collector, but I want you to leave those tables and I want you to come and follow me. And the word says that those men left those nets and followed after Jesus. The word tells us that Matthew left that tax table and he came and followed Jesus. What is it in your life that has changed when you came to Jesus? Well, nothing really. I just kind of came to Jesus. Beloved, the word tells us that when we come to Jesus, the old things are passed away and everything becomes new in our life. If nothing else, there needs to be an inner change within our hearts and lives. And it may be a surrender of worldly goods in order to follow him. Some have that call on their lives. Does that mean that there are no rich people? No, but what it does mean is that we live our lives in surrender to Christ. Judson Vandevender, back in the 1800s, a hymn writer, knew exactly what he was talking about when he wrote the words for the hymn. It's probably very familiar to many of you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. Seems pretty apparent that this man's riches owned him. He had sold himself out for the riches of the world, and thus he forfeited the opportunity to inherit the riches of God's glory. Let's look at the balance of this passage, beginning down in verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It appears as though this inner struggle that was going on with this young man is the fact that he loved his riches and it overpowered his desire for eternal life. He loved his riches and it overpowered his desire for eternal life. What could there possibly be within your life and my life that we love so much within our life that we're willing to let it limit what God is doing in our life? Oh, maybe we have eternal life. Maybe we've come by faith to receive Christ. But maybe there's still something within our life that we're holding on to that God says, you know what? If you would lay that down, surrender that to me, There's so much more that I could work and move and do within your life. How many times, even as believers, we walk away sorrowful, not ready to really experience the fullness of what Christ wants to do in our life because there's still something that we're holding on to. This man's focus was much more on the here and now, and it wasn't focused enough on the eternity that awaits us all. But beloved, even right now, here and now, Christ wants to work in our lives for his glory, and yet all too often there's way too many, even within the church, that are still holding on to something. Maybe for you it is the desire for riches and fame. Maybe it's a a direction of life that you're wanting to keep and hold on to. You don't want to surrender that to the Lord. Maybe it's even your family, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, whatever it might be. The Lord calls for us to surrender it all to Him. We 
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.